0: Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello,
1: I'm Karen Hording, the Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. I am so thrilled to have Joni Fu here with us today. Joni leads Intel's Network and Edge, or NEX, execution office. In 2023, she was named to Fast Company's annual Top Queer 50 Leader List, which celebrates the most powerful queer women and non-binary leaders across a range of industries. Joni is also one of the keynote speakers at our WE23 conference, which is taking place in Los Angeles from October 26th through the 28th. I just learned this is also Joni's hometown, so she is excited to be with us. Joni, it is such an honor to have you here to talk about building a more inclusive tech industry, both at Intel and beyond. So welcome.
2: Karen, thank you for inviting me to engage in such an important conversation. I truly believe that inclusive leadership is extremely critical now more than ever, given all the innovative disruptions in our industry. So I'm excited to exchange ideas and share perspectives with our audience.
1: Wonderful. So here at Diverse, we always like to start at the beginning. So I'd love to know what initially sparked your interest in technology and engineering, and how did that interest evolve over time?
2: This started when I was really young. My father was one of the first telecommunication engineers in Taiwan. He was responsible for setting up Taiwan's early generations of the analog telephone systems. He would take me to his office, and it was so fascinating to me to see how voice, wavelength, frequency, translates to analog systems via electronics and copper wires and then translate back to human voice, connecting people together and to the world. Well, wow, that was like magic to me. But more importantly, I was so inspired by the intersectionality of human and technology, how technology can change human lives and improve humanity overall by providing positive impact to everyone, And actually vice versa, how humanity can influence the direction of technology for good, like what we're seeing with AI right now, where we can actually insert ethics into AI. This mantra of providing positive impact to everyone is a personal mission statement of mine. In fact, that's actually something on my desk, that I want to have a positive impact with everyone that I have the honor, like this group, have facing that gives me purpose and meaning in what I pursue. So I learned very young that as long as I stay authentic and true to my mission statement, then using technology and engineering to solve complex human problems and making those right decisions by either business decisions, technical decisions, mentoring, paying it forward to the community, or giving back to folks will help yield the highest positive impact in whatever I do.
1: Well, I love that. You mentioned a couple of things that are really important to SWE in terms of influencing young women to pursue engineering and technology. One, early exposure. So the fact that your your father brought you into work with him and you got to see it firsthand. And then two, you talked about wanting to have a positive impact on the world. And we know, we know both those things are so important to helping young women see themselves and develop that STEM identity. So I love that. You are a poster child for, for what we talk about its SWEET.
2: I think in many ways, Karen, that's absolutely the truth, because to sustain that passion, that identity as we work forward in technology and to face it, women in technology are still facing some really big challenges, whether it's our identity, our motherhood, our you know, overall personal lives. So to have a meaning and purpose in that mission is so important to us. Yes, I couldn't agree more.
1: Um, So let's talk a little bit about your background and how it's a little bit unique in big tech. So you've got uh, an architecture and structural engineering background. And kind of how has that influenced your approach to problem solving at Intel?
2: Oh, I love that question. Actually, it's funny. When I was uh, in in school uh, taking architecture, we actually call it architecture torture because (laughs) of the complexity of the The study, architecture, and and really it is because it's a wonderful interdisciplinary study that combines humanity and engineering. As an architecture student, we study art, design, psychology, sociology, public health, study code, material science, structure engineering, civil engineering, electrical engineering, HVAC, uh, urban planning, landscaping, construction and program management. It was a torturous foundational element but I love the education. I forever am very appreciative of those elements. Even to this day, when I travel and I just got back from Europe, I just enjoy visiting and observing architecture masterpieces and how it tells the human story and the engineering advancement that's made by these master architects. But back to problem solving, I think one of the most important elements of architecture and structural engineering for me is about solving complex problems using technology by radical collaboration and overall the connection and the collision of ideas to spark innovation. As an example, one of the senior projects I did in in college was designing a hospital. But if you think about it, when you're designing and building a hospital, how do we ensure we understand patient, doctors, technician requirements as users? And how do we ensure we design and develop building plans to fit all the infrastructures and all the equipment to actually help to save lives? How do we deliver the best care? How do we meet the public health code? How do we align with city planning? And how do we allow flexibility in future health care, right? And so in that way, it is about approaching problem solving using inclusive leadership in driving that radical collaboration across seemingly completely disconnected disciplines and ensure that there are collisions with the greatest empathy of human needs. The more inclusive we are, the more diverse we are, the more empathetic we can be when it comes to breakthrough innovations. Now, if you think about it, Karen, innovation comes from different perspectives. Different perspectives comes from different experiences. Different experiences come from different backgrounds, and different backgrounds then comes from the diversity of people that we work with. This combined with providing inclusive work environment to drive the spark for everyone to be empowered as their best authentic self will provide the most creative solution to any power we encounter. And this has been an approach I've taken all my career. Um, if you speak with my team members, you'll hear that as well, that I have no, no bars and no guardrail when it comes to ideas. I want to hear everyone's ideas. So as I shift from architecture to construction to banking to semiconductors to supply chain to product development to silicon photonics to FPGA and now to network and edge transformation, it's the same. It's about inclusive leadership and radical collaboration. Yeah, I
1: love that term radical collaboration. I've not heard that before. And and I think, you know, we're seeing so much in the world right now where there isn't collaboration. And it's, it's you know, my way or, or the highway. So can you talk a little bit about how you drive that radical collaboration within your organization?
2: Oh, that's a great question. A very simple way to start radical collaboration is actually starting with minority report. What do I mean by that? When you are in a group setting and trying to solve a complex problem, a lot of times we look at big data or majority of the data that actually shows us one direction. But most people do not pause and say, wait a second, there must be a minority report somewhere." Is there something that contradicts the conclusion that we're going into groupthink with? Is there something else that's represented a different perspective of that? So if we pause and ask that one more question, what is the minority report that's telling us differently? What is it that would challenge and and actually become a risk in how we drive this problem? It actually generates two things. One is you're empowering folks to speak up that may not have, quote unquote, the big data to manage them. But second, you're encouraging folks who are actually quiet to speak up and they mm-hmm. feel much more empowered in that radical co- collaboration in that environment. I think it's important that the collision of idea comes from that openness, comes from the leader creating that environment to say, I welcome radical ideas. I welcome things that's different. And I want to hear it. When that happens, magic happens, Karen.
1: I agree, and those, sometimes those best ideas come from the people that don't speak up. And so the fact of this style, you're able to elicit that innovation from folks, I think is extremely powerful. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, because you you mentioned a couple of times uh, being authentic and encouraging people to bring their authentic selves to to get that innovation. So I understand that you were out at work as a member of the LGBTQ community back in the early 2000s. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? being your authentic self so early on?
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking that. Honestly, uh, if I think back, that was the hardest, but the smartest decision that I have made for me to come out and be my authentic self. And it was also a blessing in disguise because then I became more empowered and more comfortable to be in my skin and bring my value to, to the company. So I will start by saying that when I started in the architecture, construction, and banking industry, it was very important in the industry to have a certain image and cultivate some sort of perception. And I'm sure that everyone who's listening to podcasts will understand that there is some sort of expectation of how we should look, how we should appear, how we should act. So in those industries, for me, wearing makeup, a dress suit, speaking a certain way, And be, I I guess, deferential and submissive was a way to be expected in those conversations. And it was absolutely exhausting, Karen. I was drained every day. I wasn't drained by the work, but I was drained by covering, covering my identity, covering who I am. And it was painful as well. So when I jumped to the technology industry, I made a decision that I want to be free. I measured. My technical expertise and I measure by the power and the value and the impact I deliver rather than how I look and how I acted. So when I decided to come out to my manager on the first day, I explicitly told him, Don't treat me as a you know special person, but I want to be normal and ordinary and average. Just treat me like everybody else. And he said, Why? Why do you want to do that? When you are extraordinary be extraordinary, live extraordinary, deliver extraordinary. And that has changed my life. Karen, that mantra absolutely shifted everything I can think about. And so when I'm thinking about that, that's how I measure myself as a mother. That's how I measure myself as a wife. That's how I measure myself as a first-generation immigrant. That's how I measure myself as a non-native English speaker. Every single time when I think about my identity, I'm not hiding behind it. I got to be who I am so that I can bring my full value.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the first part of your story, that hurts my heart because that does sound exhausting. But the second part, I just want to find that manager and hug them because I think that that was some amazing advice about be extraordinary and look at where that's led you.
2: Yes, yeah, he is an extraordinary man and I'm forever thankful to him. Yeah,
1: so what changes have you seen for members of the LGBTQ plus community in the workplace since those early days?
2: I think in the last 20 years, I'm seeing increased visibility and a sense of pride uh, from the community. I'm also seeing from the community overall, the acceptance and appreciation and the courage And the trust that we're getting, I will be very, very, um, you know, remiss if I don't um, talk about the allies that we have. The biggest ally that LGBTQ plus community have are women, and explicitly are the parents, uh, and especially women, mothers of LGBTQ youth. You cannot imagine how many calls I get from parents, especially mothers, of youth um, that are going through this, and they say, Joni, your story inspired my child. Your story is changing the world and that your story allows me to have the courage to tell my children that the world is a better place. And that, I tell you, is nothing more than miracle when I think about what has changed in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. You know, we often don't realize the positive impact we can have from the simplest of things like sharing our story. And it's not always easy to do. So I a, a big round of applause for, for being so willing to share and inspire others
2: i think we have a lot of allies and i i totally am very thankful like yourself karen when i'm listening to you i just feel wow what is so um you know you're so you're so cleansing person for me when i'm listening to you as well and the allies make the huge difference for the community
1: yeah it it goes back to that intersectionality and wanting people to be their authentic selves because we don't want our folks to spend their time being exhausted from trying to be who they think they should be. We want them to be their authentic selves. So they're spending time on innovation and the next great idea. Yeah. Being a mom, that right there is a lot to juggle. So any advice for for our listeners of how how to try to manage
2: all of that? I think a dashboard is needed. So now I'm talking I'm being geeky now. (laughs) I think a dashboard is needed where you measure your health, you measure your love, and I really mean that. Your love between your your partner, your love of your child, love of your family. You measure overall your play, are you playing? And then you measure your work. And you have to have that very open and honest conversation with yourself and measure yourself in those four dashboards. And I think that happens naturally for me now that I just measure all the time. Okay, how's my health? Mentally, spiritually, and obviously physically. How's my love? How's my work? How's my play? And and when you do that, you're assessing and adjusting as you go so that you are maintaining that overall balance.
1: I I love that, the idea of a dashboard, because I think so often as women, we ignore our own physical well-being, whether that's physical health, mental health, you know, because we're so focused on others. And so having that be part of it. Plus, I love hearing someone talk about play, right? You have Mm -hmm. to have some downtime if you're going to be any good at your job or any good to your family, Um, because if it's if it's just all work. That there's no balance to that. And it, it's just not sustainable.
2: Actually, I, I love that as well. The play element. A lot of people think, yeah, adults don't play. We work. And that's not true. I think uh, one of the best stories I've heard in, in regards to this element of measuring as well is, you know, if you look at life and we're juggling a bunch of balls in in the air, right? You can have crystal balls, you can have rubber balls, you can have basketballs, you can have any type of ball that's on the air. You need to know what's your crystal ball, because once you drop that, you'll never get back. Mm-hmm. Right? Your health and your family and your love work, it's a rubber ball. You dropped it, it bounced right back. Right? And, and, and so I, I think it's really important that we assess all these elements. And if you take it in either the dashboard idea I just talked about or juggling the crystal ball idea that I talked about. I think it's all really about pointing to be balanced and to be authentic as well because you need to face yourself in that way. It's it's not about that dashboard you're not sharing with anybody. You're just reviewing it yourself. And so you've got to be honest with yourself when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, well, I love the crystal ball, rubber ball analogy. I'm going to use that going forward. I'll give you full credit, but but I really, I mean, that, I don't know of a, a better way to sum it up. Uh, that So thank you for that. Um, you, we talked a little bit about uh, radical collaboration and some of the things you're doing in your teams to create an inclusive environment. What advice would you have for our listeners if they're trying to do that within their departments or within their organizations?
2: I think the fundamental value is to set that 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 stake in the ground that we value the difference, invest time to that, build that culture, and change the language. It is so important that the language of inclusivity is completely permeated throughout the culture. Words change our thoughts. Our thoughts then change our actions. So it starts with that language. It starts with valuing that difference in there. And I think in at, at Intel, one of the things that we have been working on, super proud of this as well, as an inclusive language uh, item. And one of my team members probably can actually really resonate with this is that we are we were looking at a lot of the the languages that didn't make make it inclusive. And I'll use an example, very simple example. Uh, software coding and there's a language called Master and Slave right? It's, it's looking at primary versus a secondary element of coding. And we actually went in and changed all of our coding to make it primary and secondary rather than master and slave. In many ways, that changes the mindset that, no, we're not going to actually tolerate this concept of master and slave and changing that language. And the word that I use um, just You know, previously about Minority Report, I'm not saying, hey, I don't value the data, but I'm actually giving it even a better name, Minority Report. Come and tell me something that's different. That actually elevates and empowers people to bring in things that's different and, and ideas that may not be fully formed, but those are data that we have. So I think that's important. Changing language in an inclusive environment sets that tone.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's something that you can do. It doesn't cost the organization anything. Um, It's it's really a simple concept.
2: It is, but it's so powerful. And many things in life are like that. It's simple. That's not complicated. Yes.
1: Yep. It's right in front of us. We just need to do it. Yep. Well, let's. Um, I kind of want to wrap up the podcast with a couple of questions around your career and career advice. So you've had an incredible career, both from a technical and a leadership side, as well as through all of your advocacy work for the LGBTQ plus community. What experience from your career are you most proud of?
2: When we went and built that app. Uh, we started with a cornfield there was nothing there and we uh, we built that fab from ground up took us 3 years and we ended up hiring 3000 people and completely changed their lives i had 120 employees reporting to me at the time each and every one of them came from a farm they could not imagine they're working in the technology industry and every one of them i remember where i hired them they brought their parents to meet me, to tell me that I have changed the trajectory of their entire family. I kept in touch with every one of them. 40% of these folks are in senior and executive management ranks. That today still brings so much pride because I have changed lives and everything that I do when I was in China.
1: Wow, Joni, you just gave me chills with that story that is incredible and back to engineering i don't know of another career where you can impact either the quality of life or change lives uh, there's there's just nothing else out there like engineering
2: absolutely absolutely
1: well my final question is most of our listeners are women in stem so we love to provide career advice and tips that will help them in their journey so what would you say is the best career advice you ever received, and maybe other advice that you yourself would like to share?
2: I will say this, and this is actually in, in a book that I just read, and I think it's something that um, that actually sums up my career as well as something that I want to share with my daughter. Uh, I, and I kept on telling her she's uh, 16, going on 17, and, and learning about college. But here's, here's the advice and what I read in the book, and it actually accumulates that. Uh in the book Design Uh Your Life by uh, Bill Burnett and uh, Dave Evans, uh, the two Stanford professors that did the uh, life design studio, it was actually noted that 27%, only 27% of the folks that finished college actually did the field work in the major that they have done, meaning the career is actually what they had actually majored in. 27%. That's one out of five. What that means is four out of five. Most of us will have to change our career, may not be doing what's in our major. So here's the advice. I remember when I did the shift from architecture and tried to go into banking and started my MBA, I felt guilty about changing my career. I felt that how come I'm giving up architecture so quickly and structural engineering so quickly. And I felt I failed my architecture professor. So I, I set up a, a coffee a chat with her and I went back to school and I, I met up with her. And I said, you know, I'm very sorry that I am actually going to give up my architecture education. And she sponsored my thesis. She was the one that uh, pushed my, uh, my graduate uh, work through. And she looked at me and she said, no, you're not giving up architecture. Life is design. Use what you have learned in architecture to design your life. And solve the biggest problem by using your creativity. That was the biggest advice that I have, is that life is design. Go and be creative. Go be yourself. Um, right now, we're working on some AI work I mentioned a little bit. There's this new field called pump engineering that I've never heard of. And most of the work that I'm seeing now didn't exist five years ago. Most of the jobs that I, I'm actually right now hiring didn't exist five years ago. It is about innovating. It is about designing your life the way we would like to do to provide the biggest positive impact. And that is the best advice I've ever received.
1: Wow, that is some good advice. Thank you for sharing that. So I know I'm, after this conversation, I'm even more looking forward to meeting you at WE23 in LA and to have you as one of our keynote speakers. Can you give our audience just a little preview of what you'll be talking about?
2: I think I I mentioned it three times a bit, uh, a little bit, Karen. Uh, I really, I'll sum it up this way. I would like to speak to how to be extraordinary by embracing our authentic self and leveraging our intersectionality in full. That will be what I will be delivering in LA, and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, I just want to thank you again, Joni, for sharing your insights on the podcast today. We are so looking forward to seeing your keynote at WE23. I know I'm excited about things like radical collaboration, you know, being your authentic self, the crystal ball versus the rubber ball, just so many great takeaways from our conversation today. For anyone listening who wants to see Joni speak at WE23, we would love to see you there. You can visit we 23suiteorg to reserve your spot and get all the details. WE23 is the world's largest conference for women in engineering and technology, with more than 16,000 in attendance. There are hundreds of sessions and speakers, plus many, many networking opportunities, and it's all happening October 26th through the 28th in Los Angeles. In addition, many of the sessions, including Joni's keynote, will be live streamed, so we do have a virtual attendance option as well. So I hope to see you there, whether in person or virtually. And from all of us at SWE, thank you for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.